Welcome to the Unmasked Podcast. This is Beach and we are back at Full Strength. Our girl, Southern Cynic, is here tonight. Hello, Southern Cynic. You have been missed, my friend. I'm back. Yes. Yeah, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back. Welcome back, Mr. Cotter. I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Akira is here, of course. Hello, Akira. Hey, how are you? I'm great. My, um, I told you guys my family's been out of town. This is my second week having an empty house, and I am loving it. So it's been nice. great. <laughs> it is nice. It is nice. It is nice. But um, I have to start off by saying, so last week, Southern Cynic, um, Akira and I spent quite a bit of time um, talking about Mr. B.D. Wong on our podcast, about his Emmy nomination and how wonderful we think he is. So I, in passing, said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweet our podcast to him and tell him we were um, talking about him. And lo and behold, he tweeted us back. And we were all fangirling, were we not? What, how did you feel when um, you saw that he tweeted us back? Uh, I was flailing. I slid out of my chair a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the highlight of my day. Thank you, BD. <laughs> what about you, Akira? Uh, the same. Um, I, uh, I think I was about ready to go to sleep or something around the time that um, that you sent the message that you did. But, yeah, after seeing that, I was like, okay, sleep? What is that? I'm wide awake now. Um <laughs> Yeah, I was exactly. Hyped over that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, cause you know, I, I know. Because um, I was like, yeah, I was about to go to sleep, and I was um, seeing something. I got this notification. I was like, oh my god! And then we, you and I, started fangirling in the DMs. <laughs> <laughs> it goes down in the DMs. <laughs> 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 but yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, but that was just uh, that was a nice surprise, um, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just shows what, we're, a, we're, what a, we're we're still feeling, we're still in our feelings about it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I I pinned it to our Twitter page. I pinned it to our, our, our Twitter page up at the top. I think it's like our our banner picture. I took a picture of his of his tweet and put it up there because you know it just really shows what a classy guy he is to take time and you know tweet us back and stuff. So I thought that was really cool. But yay, yeah. Didi Wong, we love you. We love you. Um, so let's let's get into this episode. We are we're officially halfway through the season because we're on episode six and there are twelve episodes in season two. So episode six is Master Slave and you definitely see that theme um going throughout the episode of kind of putting people in their place, um, basically, and we'll talk about that. But um one of the the big um plot points this week was really Angela and Darlene trying to um, plant the sim to sell so that they could basically own the FBI and get all of this information um, from their cell phones. Um, And we see that um, Angela is trying to learn how to hack and stuff, and they're trying to rush this job because um, the FBI is going to be moving out of ECOR. So, Southern Cynic, since we haven't heard from you in in two weeks, Angela was struggling. 
she was struggling with trying to to get her skills up to snuff. What were you thinking about Angela this week? Um, well, watching her trying to learn it, I I just didn't have a sense that she wouldn't get it because you could see her determination. She just had a little waning confidence, but she was starting to get it back. I, I didn't yeah. worry that she was not going to be able to get it. But, well, she um, said my she said my success is assured. It's assured, <laughs> yes. And I have to try that trick. We'll we'll see if that actually works. You know, when I'm struggling with the self talking, the self talking. <laughs> Yeah, right out loud for everybody to hear it. Yeah, and Mobley talking about you. You know, you can't talk to yourself during during the job. <laughs> well, what did you think, Akira? Uh, well, once again, it was my girl Angela. Um, people once again wanting to doubt her, underestimate her. And I was just sitting here watching it, and I'm thinking, how many times do I have to tell y'all to stop underestimating Angela? She will get this. Um, So, yeah, and again, um, with her um, saying her affirmations and everything, um, and and watching it again, I'm sitting there thinking when uh, Mobley and Trenton, they're all looking at her as she's talking to herself, and he's like, you know, you can't talk to yourself. That kind of put, I guess, put me in the mindset of wondering, well, gee, whenever Elliot was in uh, the arcade, I wonder how many times he's maybe had episodes of sorts where he's talking to himself, and they're probably just like, uh, okay. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah. But, yeah, it was just like, all right, Angela. Angela will get this, you know. Um, and just, like, trying to put yourself in her shoes, too, learning how to do what she did in, in terms of getting the script right for the hack. Um, I mean, mm-hmm bow down because I don't know if I could have been able to just, you know, sit there and sit there and learn the script and everything. But, um, yeah, just watching my girl Angela come through. And and I'm just like, why, why can't she just like put a note on her phone or something? Like I was wondering, was it, was it more than just that one line, you know, or Mm -hmm. was it, something more elaborate that we just didn't see, that they didn't put it on the screen. Because I, I think mm-hmm. I can memorize, you know, a string of code or whatever. But I don't know. It seemed like they made it seem like it would be harder than what it appeared to be. Yeah, I would have I, I been like, can I just get a cheat sheet or something, you know, <laughs> if I don't have to, like, think on the fly, just give me a cheat sheet. But I also thought like Angela was a little bit more tech savvy because she had that job at Allspace as well. So I was like a, a little bit surprised that it was such a struggle for her um, going into it. I don't know. I just would assume she well, had more skills than like Ollie did. Well, given going back um, to her position like, at Allspace, um, I mean, she more she was more so dealing with account managing and whatnot. So, um, so on one hand, I mean, yeah, you would think that she would have some, but I guess you know maybe it's just like overseeing. You know, I guess in a sense, you could probably be like, well, that what that's what Elliot was there for in the event that mm-hmm. you know something goes down. You know, he's the one really with the expertise to do all that. Um, but yeah, and then also as some people still to this day. Um, would like to give continue to give Angela grief over asking what's a root kit. 
Um, but it's like, come on, somebody in the somebody in the show had to ask that question. So unfortunately, no. <laughs> it's you know, it had to be Angela. So people, some people will not are still probably not going to let her live that down. But it's like, yeah, someone had to ask it. <laughs> so yeah, she's asking for what? the audience. That's yeah, basically. Yes, asking basically. for the audience. Um, so, thanks for taking one for the team, Angela. <laughs> so. What did you What did you guys think? Of, what did you guys think about those looks that were passing between um, Cisco and Angela um, when he came to um, the apartment to drop off the the femdesel that they were going to use? Um, I know I had my thoughts, but I want to want to know what you guys thought first. Secure, what did you think be- about those looks between Cisco and Angela? Uh, well, it was very tense. Um, I was just wondering, is she going to completely, um, I guess, out him as the one who did, who gave her the CD and everything? But um, I mean, in a way. But when you also, also when you think about it, it's like really wasn't really worth making a big scene about it because Darlene knew obviously that Cisco was the one that gave, you know, that had to give, had to have given the CD because she went ahead and put it in. So I'm like, so at the same, you know, so I'm like, it's not like that information is not known between all three parties more or less. So, um, but I think, you know, maybe just a way to drag out the tension and just see like, all right, Angela is finally confronted face to face with the person who, um, forced her to put her, who forced her to get herself involved in this whole situation. So mm-hmm. it would have been, it would have been interesting to see how that would have gone down if there would have been some sort of confrontation. But I think the stare alone says it said it all because really there was almost no need for any words to be spoken. It's kind of like, yeah, I know who you are um, type of thing. But really in the, in the end, they're all in it just as deep. So it's like, it's not really like one has, something over the other. Yeah. What did you think, Southern Senate? Well, I'm confused. I thought Darlene didn't know that Angela had gotten the CD. The way it sounded like it's like um, Angela and uh, what's his name? No, not Ollie. Fuck that guy. I hate Ollie. Cisco? Uh, Cisco, yeah. Um, they knew each other because of the CD, but Darlene didn't know that Cisco did what he did with the CD to Angela. It's the way she said that, oh, I thought you looked like somebody I knew, but you don't. It just seemed like between the three of them, those two were the only ones who knew each other. Darlene didn't know that they knew each other. I don't know. Maybe I missed something in the. Uh, that was the, that was the feeling I got too. That Darlene had no idea that Cisco. But, yeah, but we know that Cisco is kind of doing some, you know, backdoor dealings with the Dark Army. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something else going on there, and Darlene doesn't know that. So yeah, I, that's I kinda, that's how I felt. So I didn't know if Angela was staring at Cisco because this is the first time she's made the connection that this random guy on the street is a part of this at this level that he knows Darlene or mm-hmm. if it's um, Angela is doing more than we know she's doing and she just wasn't expecting to see Cisco there. I don't, I just, 
feeling suspicious about this, this, that, that whole interaction between the two of them and what it can mean towards the future and just, you know, seeing what we find out about um, Angela later in the series and just wondering how much does she actually know about um, things that are going on because Angela's good at keeping things from people and hiding things and kind of keeping things internal until they need to be revealed. So I don't know. I always have to, like you said, don't don't count Angela out because we, we see that she's able to think on her feet because when we get to um, E-Core and it is time for her to um, set the fin to sell, and I have to say I love the music that they were playing during, like, this whole um, thing. Um, I should maybe I'll have that be our, our intro music this week, but I love that song that they were playing. Um, but I have to talk about Special Agent Ross. <laughs> he is such a poster boy for fragile masculinity. It is unbelievable. So Angela goes um, down to the FBI floor and she walks into the bathroom and as she's walking into the bathroom you see this group of agents walking past her and you see Ross like she catches his eye he turns around and she goes into the bathroom and she's in there for a while and as soon as she walks out he's there so it's like as a woman she caught his eye for like five seconds and that was enough for him to basically stalk her at the bathroom door and just like hang around and wait for her to come out of the bathroom so he can hit on her. And when she rejects him, he immediately like does that thing where, Oh, you rejected me. Now I'm going to be an asshole to you thing. So uh, it's just, it was just so reflective of so many experiences I've had in real life as a woman. Um, Southern Cynic, what did you think about Ross and his um, ability to pick up women? Ross was just bringing back so many flashbacks for me. I mean, you've heard of my gas station experiences. <laughs> tell, 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 tell the listeners one of your gas station experiences. No, we'll say that for another time. But, um, I mean, had it been me, I would have been outed and arrested because I would have cussed them out. Like, what the hell are you doing standing here waiting for me to go to the back? And didn't have the nerve to ask me why I was in there for so long. Oh, I can tell you why. <laughs> you don't want to hear it, but oh God, he is the poster boy for like the uh, "Are you okay, sis?" hashtag on Twitter. Just creep, <laughs> grade A creep. Yeah, <clears throat> but I'm glad Angela handled that, you know, because she's a boss. She did. Once again, Angela is able to take care of business. What did you think, Akira? Yeah, well, like this, like you both. It brought back experiences that I've had too. Um, I've got you know, guys, just, you're just minding your own business, going about your thing, and then a guy just tries to hit on you and can't take no for an answer. And my uh, the comeback, I'm pretty, you know, you guys have had to get, had had this have had this comeback too because the ego is hurt and everything, so they just want to bust back, you know, bust back with, well, you ain't that fine anyway, mm-hmm. and it's like. Okay, have a good day. Um, but, yeah, um, yeah, brought back memories, and, yeah, it was just like, okay, this guy needs to go. He needs to go. Like, 
Seriously, like, you know, and I was, and when they're, um, when Mobley and Darlene are looking for dirt on him, I'm like, give him, like, come on, give me something good. And, um, but yeah, it's just, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. It was, it, was uh, a, it was a great depiction of what women go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and also the power that women have because she was, quickly able to um, shut him down when it's all of a sudden he decides to be an FBI agent and ask her, what are you doing on this floor and stuff. So all she had to do was flirt with him a minuscule amount to get him completely distracted from, you know, doing your job. Um, And I I don't want to offend the male viewers, male listeners, but I mean, it's so easy to, manipulate guys sometimes in that way because they're like panting um for it but i don't know i'm glad that angela was able to handle it um Mm -hmm. unfortunately we see later that she unfortunately caught dom's eye the other thing that kind of um struck me is you know when she's um planning the battery pack and stuff and she's putting the cords in first of all she was under there I felt like a really long time. And two, yeah. why didn't she just wear gloves? I know Darlene said, you know, make sure you wipe everything down. But then she touched the chair when she stood up. And she didn't <laughs> you saw that too? She touched the chair. Uh, and well, the not, well, not only did she touch the chair, but like, because I remember when the episode first aired, a lot, a lot of people were, again, with the same sentiments, the same thought, why didn't she wear gloves? Like, she missed a few things. Like, why are you touching the thing that you are supposed to be wiping down as you're wiping <laughs> it down? Um, so, yeah, and I went back and watched it, watched that, that, those, that particular moment again and again, and I'm like, okay, okay, she touched that, she touched that, she touched that, she touched that, she touched that. Okay, you wiped that, you wiped that. Wait, no, I don't think you got that. No, you, like, honey, you missed a few, you missed a spot. And then again, she touched the chair. So, yeah, but, I mean... Again, I mean, with the filming of this scene, um, the it, what a, I mean, Sam, they know how to build up the tension, especially because of the and it's, what really helped also is the way that they shot it because they did it all in one take. And I mean, you're just like, okay, come on, Angela, hurry up, Angela, hurry up, Angela, get out of there before somebody catches you, Angela. Um, yeah, yeah. Southern Cynic, yeah. was your stomach like clenching that whole thing or what? <laughs> I, I had the same reaction you both did. I was watching everything she was touching and just like pulling at my hair. Like, what are you doing? You need to go to like spy class one on one or something. I don't know. <laughs> but even with the gloves, you know, I would have thought, hey, that's gonna take too long. She has to put them on. She has to make sure they're on right. Like, yeah. Oh. I am like, okay. Seated up there. But um, at the end of the scene, I. I totally missed, I think, the first two times that I watched it, that, yeah, Dom was at the end of the hall. We saw her come mm-hmm. out, mm-hmm. watching it fall. Because I was focused on the art on the wall, you know, how to leave clues and things. I was sitting there <laughs> trying to find something in it. I totally missed the silhouette of Dom watching her standing at the um, at the railing. So, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, she's in trouble. I know. It's like you see Dom standing there, and, of course, she's aware of everything, and all you can think as a viewer is, oh, shit, she saw her. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, when when Angela goes upstairs and Darlene is walking her through re- rebooting up the um, Wi-Fi, 
and there's like this close shot of her face. All I could think was like Angela's eye makeup is on point. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> did you girl somebody with that cat eye? God, it was sharp. Honey, she was slaying with it. Her eyelashes were on point. That cat eye. I needed like a makeup tutorial. But I have to say, I haven't said this, but I think it every week. Every week, and this is not an insult to the actresses. It's actually a compliment. I think that Darlene and Angela both look like those Bratz dolls. Do you know what I'm talking about? The dolls, they have like really big eyes. And um, they're, I know you girls don't have kids. But no, but I know the dolls. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I know of, of them thanks to my niece. <laughs> I just think like the, they're big. Both like I feel like they highlight their eyes a lot, and both of them kind of have big eyes and like those beautiful mouths, and they just both remind me of brat dolls. And I was just getting that from Angela um, this week a little bit, but that was just me being distracted. But. The last thing we see with her is, of course, Dom is just so Dom. She walks up on somebody, and um, she's like, oh, are you in the middle of a phone call? I hate that. I'll wait. And it's like, Akira, Dom just being Dom. Did you die the first time you watched it when that happened? Yep. <laughs> um, pretty, pretty much, again, This, I think I think the main the main our affirmation or whatever, anything, whatever we can call it, that the phrase that the audience was chanting throughout this whole episode was some version of, oh, shit, fuck, damn, <laughs> we call it, you know, like, how the hell are you going to get out of this one? Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, if I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, props off to Angela again, we'll see later on for how she handles this situation, but I mean, with Dom, I would just be like, uh, I, yeah. And like I said, there's just something that's just so uh, went down. Yes. Like she, no yeah, like she's just anybody's personal space. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. Yes. Oh my God. The personal space. Oh my God. I, I mean, I personally hate that. Um, but also I'm like, some people probably just aren't aware that they're even doing it. And it's like, uh, you you know, like you just stand to back up just a little bit. But um but yeah, Dom just being dumb and showing up at, showing up at her um at her cubicle and you're just like, Oh shit. Angela, I really hope that you close that damn, you know, close you know, close, minimize that window that she was working on. You know, yeah, uh-huh. nothing to see here, Dom. Um, well you know you know Dom was standing there before she said her name. <laughs> Oh, yeah, she, she yes, had to have been. And it's the point where you're just wondering, how long was this girl standing here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, of, of course, like with the camera, we're all focused on Angela, and we're just zoned into the situation just as much as Angela. But, yeah, it's like, oh, how long were you here, dog? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Southern Cynic, she called her by her whole name. So not mm-hmm. only did she know where her death was, she called her by her whole name, too. What were you thinking? We know how she knows her whole name. We'll see that at the last episode. She has mm-hmm. thing, you know. But, um, God, she just – I get into that situation at work with my earphones in my ear. I'm talking on the phone, and people just come and start having a conversation with you. I, I just don't understand it. But like I said before <clears> – <throat> 
Dom uses that as a tool to get information. She's throwing you off your game. Mm-hmm. She she knows what she's doing when she's all up in your personal space because it knocks you off your guard completely. Yeah. So, she, yeah. She, I, yeah. But also, I, as far as, like, knowing employees, I would not be surprised if she had a little booklet with, like, pictures, info of every single employee because remember that one time, um, she's, um, this is um, in the last episode, she's out of the elevator, she sees this guy standing there, and she's like, um, can I help you? You don't work, yeah, you don't work on this floor, what you doing over here? Um, uh-huh. even, though she didn't, even though she didn't address him by name, I mean, she knew enough to be like, yeah, no, you're not, you're not with us. Um, I mean, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't be surprised if she took it to that level of knowing every single employee in that building, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's um, she's that, but she's that much into details. Mm-hmm. She's that much into details, and you're absolutely right, Southern Cynic. It's like in this day and age, people should just know that when you have on the white earbuds, that means I don't want you to talk to me. Like I wear my earbuds when I go to the grocery store, whenever I step out of my car, at work. It's just like a nonverbal saying, "Don't bother me." <laughs> It's always amazing to me, just like with you, when, like, I'm at the store and some stranger will just start trying to talk to me. I'm like, I have my earbuds in. Why are you trying to talk to me? And then you feel guilty and, like, I'm I'm so sorry. Are are you talking to me? And then they still keep talking to you. I don't know. I feel like people should be up on that by now. No regards. None, none whatsoever. But um, so that's the last thing we see. So we're going to have to, like, have this cliffhanger about what is Angela going to say? How is she going to, like, pretty much give Dom a comeback and save herself? But um, one of the things, um, the, this, the title of this episode is Master Slave, and I kind of really felt like we saw a lot of people um, being put in their place, um, and we saw that a little bit with Cisco. Cisco has this interaction um, with the Dark Army when he's trying to get the fin to sell. And um, basically, he's told, you're a foot soldier, you take orders. What What were you thinking about that scene the first time you saw it, Southern Senate? Because I, I know I was just like, what is happening here? I can't even really fully remember the scene because when you mention it, I just... I go to a happy place. I can't. <laughs> I can't watch it. I watched that scene only one time when it first aired. I cannot mm-hmm. get through it anymore. It's, uh, but, um, yeah, Cisco being concerned about his friends and everything and then trying to posture up and, you know, act like he's a big guy and, and immediately gets put into his place. This is where you belong. This is where you are. You are on this rung don't think that you can climb up and be above, you know, above your yeah. station. At least he, he, really, he really was trying to puff up. Yeah, yeah. He was trying to, nook, you know, nut the hidden book. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, Akira, were you surprised when the guys in the mask just, like, came out of nowhere and just, like, snatched Cisco up? Nope, not surprised at all. Um, you, I mean, yeah, you you see it coming from a mile away. Like, um, okay, one, you trying to, like you say, bolster up. 
Um, you're a little, doing a little bit too much huffing and puffing for your own good. And you're asking questions. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's like, um, Cisco, I know that you're, you know, you're asking questions because you're concerned about your friends and everything. But at the same time, do you, have you forgotten who you're talking to? Um <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, in my opinion, I think that he was lucky enough to just get off of what he did with what happened to him um, because, I mean, considering that this was Dark Army, you're like, uh, that could have been worse. But, yeah. Oh, but it, but it was enough to leave an impression for sure. Um, and if he didn't get it, I sure as heck got it for him. Okay, I know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and – Talking about Dark Army, you saw Dom talking with Santiago earlier in the episode because he wanted her to take um, a four-week leave. And Dom is like, uh, no, that's not going to happen. But she also mm-hmm. made this point that the attack um, in the hotel was not um, – Santiago is saying it was like a militant group or whatever. And, and Dom is insistent that it's the Dark Army and that it was meant to – disrupt their um, their investigation of the hack that, you know, she had all these reasons why she was feeling that way. And um, she said that the guy had her cornered and she should have been gone. And I'm wondering, I was thinking about this today, that if Dom hadn't have had that interaction with Minister Zhang, if she would have been part of the casualties. I'm wondering if that conversation saved her in that instance. Um, what do you think of that, Akira? Um, I don't think so, too. I mean, because with that conversation between um, between Dom and um, White Rose as Minister Zong, um, you did see that there was a connection on some level, be- on some level between the two of them. So um, I think that there is definitely some curiosity there, but also I think part of it is kind of like keep your friends close, enemies closer type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Because, I mean, obviously, yeah, with the number of um, FBI agents that got wiped out, you know, it's kind of like, all right, we still, you know. I think that I'm curious in some way as to what, you know, if Dom got spirit, because maybe on some level, White Rose thinks that she might be able to use Dom or at least, mm. you know, uh, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, that's just a thought that's been dangling um, around in my head. But, um, of course, you know, it's like I got to watch more to see if that thought, if there is even more to, you know, feed into that thought even more or just like kind of just let it go because, you know, you don't want to get too wrapped up in thoughts and going down the rabbit hole as this show tends to make you do every single time with everything. That is true. Um, so, yeah, but um, but definitely it did exactly what Don said said that the intent was which was to disrupt the uh disrupt the investigation because you've got um her superior saying you need to take um leave you know it's best you know as if they weren't already at odds with the way that the investigation's been going so now they're at even more odds so um so the attack definitely did what it set out to do and i think once again dom is just isolated herself even more um, between the two, between the two of them, or that's just probably what Sam wants us to think. <laughs> it's, it's it's all a ruse. It's mm-hmm. all a ruse, isn't it? Um, but Southern Cynic. So a few weeks ago, you said that you wanted to see Philip Price on his knees. That was you, correct? 
Yes. Yeah, a downfall. And so we kind of see Philip Price not this week on his knees, but he's definitely backpedaling some. Um, We see him on the phone, and he's talking to the Speaker of the House, and he's once again wanting this bailout money. And so um, I think it was two weeks ago we saw him having a conversation with White Rose in which he was pretty, I would say, disrespectful to her about um, this plan they had in their timelines. And so we see him this week pressuring the Speaker of the House to ask China for money. And um, the speaker is saying this would be the worst time to do it because we would look like traitors if we asked them for money after they just attacked us, basically. Um, and we find out that Minister Zhang is not returning his phone calls. So um, w- what do you think that Minister Zhang, a.k.a. White Rose, is trying to do with Philip Price with all of this stuff going on, Southern Cynics? Um, basically show him who's actually in control. And you see that <clears throat> with Price, all the walls are closing in on him. Uh, Jane won't talk to him. He can't get his money. He's got protesters knocking down his door. He can't even leave the building anymore. So everything that he was setting up, you know, planning and everything is, is slowly tumbling down around him. So he's did you enjoy? To, did you enjoy watching that scene? Yes, I did. You know, I, oh, I, I, I just want him to get what he deserves. And, and but you, parts. you love the villain. You love the villain, though. Yeah. But he just—I don't know. He's a creep. You know, <laughs> he's not so much a villain as a creep. He's not doing it for me. You know, even though he's on, you know, kind of strong levels of. Um, Oh, what did you think, Akira? What did you think um, Philip Price is thinking now? What is he thinking about this fallout? Uh, Well, he is definitely um, in a situation where following his phone call with White Rose, um, the tables are now turned where, um, you know, at the end of that phone call, he, he knew that he had White Rose rattled because he was definitely hitting all her nerves and you know white rose is not gonna have that um and so yeah so now with um as ministers as minister zong not being able to be reached um you know it's again it's price um like you said being put being like shown okay do you really think do you really think you're the boss of this whole thing um and it's um, another setup, really, for the power struggle between the two of them, um, in terms of really who's going to come out to be the winner in all this, um, because they each they each have something that the other wants, and it's just a matter of you know how much are you willing to compromise in order to get what you want, and mm-hmm. we can easily tell that both that both White Rose and Philip Price are not the type that will easily compromise. Um, it's pretty much I, definitely for both of them peg them to be an all or nothing um, situation in order, you know, mindset in order to get what they want. Um, but yeah, but Philip is, um, he's feeling some pressure, but he's at, at the same time not try, trying to not show it, um, especially when, um, you know, his assistant comes in, you know, he has to put on that hard ass mentality that 
persona that he's so used to having, making people think that he is in power and in control. But on some, you know, on some level, you can see the cracks with him. Yeah, I felt like you could definitely see it because this is like one of the first times I feel like I've seen him angry mm-hmm. um, and feeling just a tad bit out of control with his anger. Um, whereas before, when someone was attacking him or telling him no, he always has the smooth comeback, um, things like that. And this is like one of the first times I didn't see that. So like you said, you can definitely feel like the crack's coming. But Price is the type of person that when he's wounded, he's it seems like that's when he's going to be at his most dangerous. So as a viewer, you have to think about, okay, how is he going to come back at White Rose? Because she's done this to him and now won't take his phone calls. So um, that is something, you know, to look forward to watching once again. Um, another unfortunate person we saw being put in their place this week was poor Elliot, um, your little poor pocket prince. So the end of last episode, our sweet baby was being jerked out of bed and he was about to get his tail beat because he was putting his nose in Ray's business. Um, And so this was one of my favorite episodes, and I think that this was – I could just remember the night that this episode aired on Twitter and people were losing their minds. Like half of the tweets, people just thought it was the most brilliant thing they had ever seen, and the other folks were just like, I don't like this. I can't believe this is still happening. Just this whole flashback to the 90s sitcom, you know, TGIF um, type show. Uh, Southern Cynic, what did you think about Elliot and this kind of um, fantasy he was having at the beginning of the episode? Like you said, I didn't know what was going on. Um I think I, I realized it after the first weird uh, 90s beer commercial that came on. I was like, what is going on? What this time? Because he tweeted out before the show that it was definitely something you didn't want to miss. I forget mm-hmm. that he, he kind of gave us a little hint that something unusual was going to be happening. But I, I don't know how to sum that up because still watching it today, <clears throat> it just, it pulls at your nostalgia, but at the same time, it's just so dark and and and, and sad, you know. <clears throat> with uh, Angela, with the theme song, and Angela standing there over her mom's coffin, and she's crying, but she's trying to smile through it, you know. And the lyrics are all I, kind that of was my favorite. Off. That was literally my favorite part. I love it. Oh. <laughs> And I missed the first time around that um, Tyrell was in the trunk when he escaped from the trunk and he ran into the into the screen in the back. Of the <laughs> that was <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, but um, seeing Angela, um, <clears throat> not Angela, but Darlene's mom punching her in the face, burning her with the cigarettes. It's like, okay, this is supposed to be 90 sitcom. Everything's supposed to be happy and cheery. Your problems get solved in 22 minutes. You know, everybody loves each other. And you see the juxtaposition with her, you know, being abused and and, mm-hmm. and um, the mom verbally abusing Elliot and the dad, you know, this yeah. back and forth. 
dynamic. So it was just so strange. It was like I loved it, but at the same time, my heart was rich, you know. It's disturbing. It's disturbing because you have this um, laugh track, which is like the quintessential 90s laugh track that went with every little 30-minute show we watched. Um, But then, like you said, we see these horrible things happening um, in their family. And this is coming from Elliot's psyche, so we have to assume that these are things he experienced um, growing up. Um, but one of the things I noted, um, I, I always watch TV with the closed captioning on because my daughter loves it. So I was reading the words to the theme song, and one of the lines is, um, imagine a world gone insane, let your mind just drift away. And I feel like that is what Elliot was giving us with this whole 90s sitcom feel. Um, there was just so much happening in there between the abuse with the mom um you know this one of the interactions that I thought was interesting was Angela in the convenience store um and that really being a metaphor of her now working for Evil Corps and Mr. Robot basically telling Elliot to write her off because she's one of them now and Elliot's still trying to you know stick with her um and just revealing a lot of to us as a viewer of what's going on with Elliot internally, what he's thinking, how he's processing things. It was very, I thought it was very disturbing yet very revealing for Elliot. What did you think, Akira? Yeah, well, the 90s sitcom, um, I was on the side of uh, people who were thinking that this is the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. Um, I mean, because you know, you would, with a show like Mr. Robot, you definitely did not expect anything like this. Um, and not only that, I mean, it's like, you know, they committed to this idea where it's like, all right, if we're going to do this, we're going to go, you know, go all out. They had the ads, they had the theme song, they had the, you know, and the theme song was written by, it was written by the same guys who who wrote theme songs for Family Matters and everything. And mm-hmm. And, I mean, yeah, so, I mean, it definitely was that nostalgia, but also, again, that darkness there. And then with the laugh track, you know, you're, again, um, kind of, like, wondering, okay, should I laugh? Should I be laughing at this? Um, despite the fact that there was some dark comedy there. Um, but, yeah. Um, and then also, well, another note with the theme song, pretty much, yeah, I I find myself listening to that, listening to that theme song at least once every day. Um, yeah, yeah, no, you know, and then I, and, and funny enough, I'm actually talking back to the song as it's playing. I'm like, I don't have to imagine a world kind of state it already is. Um, you know, but I'm um, living it. Yes. But, um, but yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean, definitely I agree, agree with what you were saying that there are, um, aspects of Elliot's childhood that you know, were there because, you know, this is him and his subconscious. So um, I don't really think that he would be, he would really be in control of whatever it is that he's showing us at this point. Um, But then again, also, I mean, part of me is kind of wondering like, all right, it's some kind of a, you know, not really a ruse, but, um, you know, how much of this, that Elliot, you know, how much of this is still guarded really. Um, mm-hmm. At least as far as Elliot's concerned, because at this point, remember Elliot still 
is not really talking to us as much. So you're just like, hmm. But a lot of, um, but at the same time, again, with this being his subconscious, there are things, again, that he doesn't have any control of of what he's telling us. And there are a lot of clues um, between what things that people are saying, things that are happening that will, you know, play out later. But, you know, people have been picking up on those clues beforehand. So it's like, all right, it it just once again completely confirms more or less what people were thinking with Mm -hmm. the big reveal of the season. Um, But, and then also with me really thinking about the whole 90s, sitcom thing this goes back to what we were talking about last week with um you know the relationship between Elliot and Mr. Robot changing um you know again you're just wondering all right um is you know how is you know is he playing kind of both sides here where he wants Elliot to think that he's on you know on his side being protective or anything but then again you also kind of think that on one hand since Mr. Robot is the is the personification of his dad you know, it kind of makes sense for, um, as Mr. Robot says in the end, you know, for him to step in and kind of take those punches for him. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, uh, I mean, I could go on and on about this and it probably may not make any sense, but, yeah, it was just one of the best moments in my television viewing lifetime, you know, history. I mean, Hats off to Sam and everyone else in the writer's room. Um, Yeah, I mean, nailed it. Nailed it. I mean, I doubt that any other TV show would be able to do what they did and bringing, you know, taking their show, especially a show that's as serious as this, and being able to, you know, recreate it in a 90s sitcom world. I think you're right. you see other shows have done it in the past where they try to, you know, recreate the Brady Bunch and, and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, like uh, Archie Bunker, All in the Family, you know, kind of things like that. But none of them have ever gone to this extreme, to this level. So I don't think anybody is going to be able to top that going forward. Mm-hmm. Sam has set the mark for those flashback episodes. Yeah, I don't think they should even try it. They would try it. <laughs> Is anybody else sad we had to see Gideon die a second time? I I thought that too. I'm like, poor Gideon can't just stay poor alive. Gideon. Um, my my just that, my only criticism of this whole um 90s flashback thing is when when Alf runs him over. I really wish that it had been Urkel who ran him over, and then he said. <laughs> Did I do that? <laughs> like, I would think that would have just been like the icing on my 90s sitcom cake if Urkel had accidentally run him over and just had done his tagline afterwards. I I would have just died laughing at that and then felt bad for laughing that Gideon just got run over by Urkel. But, um, yeah, that I really was- do. That whole thing was just so weird. (laughs) It was. It was. But it was brilliant weird. It was just brilliant weird. But it it did reveal a lot to us about, you know, Mr. Robot said to Elliot several times, he's like, just let go. Just let go and let it take you away or just let go. It'll feel great if you let go. Um, He talked to him about – 
the necessariness of lying. Sometimes you have to lie to protect yourself. And mm-hmm. so there was just like all this, um, I don't want to say wisdom that or advice Mr. Robot was just giving to Elliot about basically how can you protect yourself? And like we um, talked about last week, it's that Mr. Robot is really coming into this role of really trying to protect Elliot from some of the decisions and repercussions from decisions he's making. And um, Mr. Robot basically delivers Elliot to the hospital and lets him kind of come back to an awareness of what's going on. And then we see Ray being scary as blank. Um, <laughs> Akira, what did you think about this scene with Ray and Elliot in the infirmary talking about his dog and stuff? Oh, what you think? Oh, man, I mean, oh. I wasn't laying on that bed, but Craig Craig Robinson had me scared of him. Um, yeah, and he he's just telling the story about Maxine. I mean, uh, in her final moments and everything, and it's so uh, it's it's such a it's such a it's such a turn because you know from how we see him in the beginning with Maxine and everything, he's so loving and caring, and mm-hmm. the way that he paints this picture of her last few moments, and he's like. You know she's only breathing. You know she's only allowed to breathe because someone allowed it. Um, I mean, huh. I mean, ugh, that, I mean that just gets to me in his delivery of it. Um, just, um, but he's definitely there. You know, using that story to tell. You know, to teach. You know, to give a, a warning, like a fi- kind of a final warning to Elliot, or pretty much just to say that you and her are pretty much in the same shoes, like. Mm-hmm. you know, um, right now you're only allowed, like right now in his current situation, he's only allowed to lay, to be in that bed laying there breathing because I allowed this to happen. Um, you know, because at the same time he's like, yeah, Elliot looked and obviously he's pissed, but at the same time he still needs Elliot to, you know, finish, to finish what he started. Um and so, yeah, like just knowing that Elliot is only allowed to breathe, Elliot's only alive because you know, because uh, Ray is allowing it. <sighs> it's some scary, haunting stuff. I mean, oh, man. So, Southern Cynic, I know, I'm trying to remember, and it's been a minute. Did they, in the Red Wheelbarrow, did they um, talk about him getting beat up in the Red Wheelbarrow? Do you remember Southern Cynic? I think it's at this point, it kind of, um, there's a way, I don't even I'm not even sure it's mentioned. I think maybe I don't think it was before the red real real barrel was over. So we don't see any more of Elliot's insight about what's going on and what's happening to him anymore in the book. I couldn't point. remember because I I felt like when I because I listened to it on audio and when I was listening to the last bit of it, I was actually in the car um, driving back from someplace, and I think I missed like the last. 10 minutes of it, so I need to go back and listen to that, but we said we were going to have... He's out of his routine right now, being beat Mm -hmm. up and snatched away, so he he can't even access his book. And then, what, he's in the hospital, and after that, you know, we pick right back up. I think next episode is when we get the reveal, so it'll be... Yeah, 
And yeah. didn't Ray have his, didn't Ray take his book or had his book too? Did he give it back he to had, him? He had yeah, it for he did. Mm-hmm. And he did give it back. I feel like in this episode, you're starting to see, and once again, people, this is not a spoiler-free podcast, so if you haven't watched season two, you shouldn't be listening to this right now. But um, I feel like this is the one of the first times we're kind of seeing um, this faux reality um, that Elliot has created for himself while he's in prison start, start cracking um, with what the infirmary looks like. Um, them taking him to the basement. Um, Maybe he just doesn't have the energy in his, um, you know, psyche to keep this illusion up for himself because he's been so bitterly beat. Lord, I mean, Southern said, how did you feel looking at your pocket prints in that bed after he was beat so terribly? I just wanted to be there for him, hold his hand, tell him, baby, it's going to be okay. I don't don't know how they gave him that bloodshot eye, but that was, like, freaking me out. (laughs) And and you can't help but kind of zoom in and see it. You can see the Mm -hmm. edge of the contact lens or whatever they use for that effect. But, oh, it was brutal. Yeah, I even felt like his lips were a little bit swollen. It was, oh, Oh, the wheezing, you tell he had broken ribs or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was awful. It was terrible. It was terrible. I felt, know, I felt bad. Do we know what scene was submitted to the Emmys that they voted on, that he got his award on? For season one? Oh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, well, to go from there, how dare they? There's so many excellent moments in this season. He should have been nominated, but that's another show. That's another show. That is another show. People were mad. People were upset. Um, They were upset. But um, after Elliot is in the infirmary, um, they basically take him out of the infirmary and they take him to another room and kind of just throw him on the cold hard floor. And Mr. Robot shows up and Elliot and Mr. Robot have this moment where Elliot is thanking Mr. Robot for trying Mm -hmm. to protect him. And then we get this flashback of Elliot as a child. Um, And I have, this is like, and the interaction between Elliot and his dad infuriated me um, in the scene with the car because there was so much happened there. We see Elliot, he's obviously been in a fight and his dad is trying to connect with him. Um, what did you think about Southern Cynic, about Edward trying to connect with Elliot in this scene and some of the things he revealed to Elliot? Well, I, I thought it was genuine. I thought it was sweet. I mean, maybe that's just how their interactions alone have always been. You know, that's the way they communicate with each other. But um, the one, uh, the one thing I get stuck on these little tangents. The one thing that was sticking out to me was what were those dates he was calling out that his boss was telling him the reason why he was getting fired. He said those were all doctor's appointments. 
So those are all doctor's appointments, and then he reveals to Elliot that he's sick. That have cancer, yeah. But oh, yeah. it's a sweet scene to me. The the scene that upset me and had me like, oh no, boo boo, what is, what are you doing? Is is when they were hugging in the in the basement because I felt like I don't trust Mr. Robot here. I feel like, yeah, maybe he was trying to help Elliot by pulling him out of this situation and make it better for him, but. On the other hand, it's what is he up to? You know, I feel like he's pumping mm-hmm. him up. For, you know, it's a setup. He's he's trying to get Elliot back on his side so he can make things. Um, his little plan that Elliot has no clue about go a little bit smoother if he can just get Elliot back in his pocket and back under control. Could be, it could be. Akira, what did you think about those scenes, the basement, and then the flashback to the car? Um. Again, yeah, with the basement scene, um, you know, definitely questioning, I mean, weary of Mr. Robot and Elliot being so accepting. I mean, um, yeah, we've, at this point, I think maybe that's Elliot realizing that on one hand, he does need Mr. Robot, um, that he created him for a reason. But, um, but again, like I said, that's just this particular moment. Um, I mean, Elliot, knowing Elliot, he's He's definitely going to have another moment where he's like, I need to get rid of you. I need to get rid of you. That is the end goal. Get rid of you. And Mr. Robot is aware of that. So he's definitely going to take any situation and use it any way he can to his advantage. So in this situation, it just happened to be Elliot getting the crap kicked, getting the crap kicked out of him. Um, mm-hmm. But then again, at the same time, you do imagine that there is some sort of genuine some genuine emotion be- motivation behind him doing that because um, Mr. Robot is, after all, a part of Elliot. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's an, it's uh, it depends. Like, it depends on I guess my mood. I guess when I'm watching it, like one day I could be watching it and think and come and think that it comes from a genuine place, but then at the same time I'm like, mm, no, like no, yeah, like yeah, even in the all hunky dory. Um, Even in the but yeah, but, and then um, and then, but I guess, but then with that, like to have it go from that scene to the flashback, um, to where that you know that moment they're sharing that moment where uh, Edward is explaining to him that he's been let go, he's sick, uh, but also at the same time just reassuring Elliot that everything is going to be all right. You know, they're not going to get you know telling him they're not going to get rid of me that easy. Um, you know, you're also kind of wondering maybe this was, you know, what if on some level this was kind of, a, you know, the catalyst to, you know, Elliot eventually creating Mr. Robot to mm-hmm. have the image of his father where it's like, oh, you're not going to, you know, not going to get rid of me that easy. Um, and then also, I mean, I just thought it was a really touching moment, um, very bittersweet moment too because, I mean, knowing that knowing the relationship that Elliot and Edward had, it was very, very close. But then also at the end, towards the end, I mean, it did get a bit sour because Elliot, um, out of sheer genuine fear and concern for his dad, went back on, you know, went against his father's wishes and, you know, revealed that he was sick. Um, so, I mean, it's, it was just really nice to see one of those moments when it was really good between the two of them, you know. Okay. Um Okay, so I think what you guys said about the basement was good, and 
you're right. I'm I'm with you, kind of a cure. I don't know if I trust Mr. Robot in Southern Cynic because Elliot has told us with every system there's a weakness, and when you find that weakness, you can ex- you can then exploit it, and that mm-hmm. kind of feels like what Mr. Robot might have been doing with this whole thing with Ray. He sees Elliot's weakness that he has to help people or he has to protect the vulnerable. Um, and, you know, with him getting beat up by Ray, he's going to now exploit what's happening with Ray in order to get in with Elliot again, just like you guys were saying. So that's kind of how I felt about that. My my issue with the flashback scene is I'm I'm looking at that scene from the point of view as a parent and how a parent is interacting with their child in a healthy way. And I felt like that interaction between Elliot and Edward was so unhealthy. Um, You know, at the beginning, he's trying to connect with Elliot because something has happened at school and Elliot is not telling his side of things. And he's trying to encourage Elliot to tell his side of things. And then he morphs into basically confessing to his son that he's been fired and you're kind of seeing this anger come out of Edward towards his company. And then he shares with Elliot, or Elliot picks up on the fact, he's like, well, what are those dates? And Edward reveals that he's sick and that no one knows but him. And then he talks about this new business. This is all great. And then he slides out there, don't tell anyone that I'm sick. That is just such a big burden that he's just placed on his already fragile son to one. You're the first person. I just told you I don't have a job, and you obviously had no idea. It hasn't been talked about at home, so I'm hiding that secret. Two, I'm dying, or I'm sick. I'm very sick. And by the way, don't tell your mom. Don't tell your sister keep this secret as well. And I just feel like that is such an irresponsible thing to do as a parent to put this burden on your your kid. Um, I mean, it's nice that he's letting him name the store. That's all great. But you, you, you still kind of, um, I feel like, harmed your child by, by doing that, by teaching him this lesson that we keep secrets and we don't share information. Um, I also agree with you, Akira, when you said that Edward um, told Elliot that I'm going to always be with you, and that definitely does feel like where Elliot was able to create this personality of a version of his dad, a Mr. Robot, who's always going to be there because that's what his dad said and that's what Elliot believes. But that, that scene just initially felt okay, but then it just for me felt really uncomfortable at the end. Well, we see he has alter, um, alternative parenting skills last season. <laughs> Elliot, <laughs> when Elliot stole that dude's money and he was like, he rewarded him by taking him to see Pulp Fiction. So mm-hmm. he has some you know, questionable judgment. I'll just say that. You're correct. I mean, even though he accidentally pushed him out of the window, still... <laughs> How are you going to accidentally push your baby out the window? Why don't you have a screen? (laughs) But anyway, um, but you're right. Elliot gave us a lot of information on his childhood. Um, All of it's sad. I don't think he's 
told us that, well, we've had one good happy memory of him and Darlene at um, October and at Halloween watching their movie together. I think that's the only happy memory we got from Elliot. Um, but that takes us to the end of the episode, you guys. So there's um, last week's on Cynic, we were talking about how we felt like the season was a roller coaster ride, and we are like on the crazy part of the roller coaster ride now, and that is just basically where this series is taking us right now. Um, so let's see, new projects. So I was on the Twitterverse, and I was looking at stuff. So um, San Diego Comic-Con happened last week, and Akira, you were able to score the new Elliot Alderson pop figure. So your collection is complete. How do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a long waiting process because, you know, y'all know, y'all know the horror story of, you know, whom I, the people I initially ordered all the figures from. And how long it took, you know, obviously the date got pushed back. So, and then I finally get the e- emailing them like, okay, um, what's going on with the pop figures? Are they coming? What's the deal? And then they say, well, you're going to get, you know, yeah, we are still processing the order and whatnot. And then I finally, like a couple of days later, get a shipping notification. And I'm like, ah, they're finally on their way. And then only four of them show up in the box. And I'm like, um, where's Elliot? <laughs> So, yeah, so having to email them back and then they're like, well, we don't know when we're going to get any back in stock. And I'm like, okay, well, then give me my money back and I'll just find my Elliot Elliot Pops elsewhere. Um, So then, yeah, I ended up having to get, I ended up getting the Elliot, the um, regular and then the hooded one um, off of eBay, you know, Mm -hmm. not going to front. Um, yeah, someone was someone was selling them as a set, um, and pretty this person was pretty much like the Amazon Prime of eBay because I swear I ordered it that Friday night, and I think it came that Saturday afternoon. I'm like, huh? Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, well, all right, I'll take it. Um, yeah, and then um, as far as the mask figure, um, I have to give a shout out to Devin. Um, Devin has been. The shining light of basically everything, everything pop figure related, um, helping me figure out, all right, yeah, just basically, even if you don't make it to Comic-Con, you can probably order them off of this site, this site, and everything, so, yeah, Devin has been the knight in shining armor of getting pop figures, so, um, you know, he's been on the lookout for the links, um, the day, you know, the, the night that they went live, and, you know, I was like, all right, well, I'll just set my alarm to wake up, like, 3 o'clock in the morning, um, you know, my time, midnight, LA time, um, woke up, the link was working, um, managed to get, managed to get an order in and then, yeah, I got the shift, got the order notification, shipping notification, and then the pop figure came and I'm like, all right, feeling like Ariel, the collection is complete. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's that. Yep. Um, Well, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Thank you were you. nice enough to um, post the picture. I, did you see her picture she posted on Twitter, Southern Cynic of all yeah. her pop figures? I'm just trying to hang back because I'm a little jealous, you know, that's all. Yeah. I haven't checked um, in, a, like, in the past couple of days, but I do think that there's I – think, I think that there's still some um, – I think that they still have it in stock, the uh, pop figure. 
Um, I'll have to double check to make sure. But, yeah, I mean, I've also been tweeting um, here and there, like, all right, they're still available. But a lot of people were actually in shock that they, you know, hours later that it's still showing, oh, in stock, in stock. We were like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, maybe they actually anticipated the numbers and actually manufactured enough for once. Um, I have to say, the Angela Pop figure is my favorite. I thought. I loved it. I loved how they depicted her. Is there a Mr. Robot pop figure that hasn't been created of a character that you'd like to see? Southern Cinecore Cure, what do you guys think? Um, I mean, I know that a lot of um, I know that a lot of Tyrell fans were upset that there isn't a Tyrell figure. Um, mm. So, I mean, I'll just yeah, I'll just go ahead and put him out there. I mean, it would be nice to see a Tyrell or a Joanna. But um, yeah. but, also the same, but also at the same time, you know, I'm kind of like maybe I'm thinking, you know, and talking to Devin and um, a couple other people, um, we're all just thinking, well, you know, maybe they just put out this, you know, this set number for now. And then I guess depending on how things go in the future or whatever, they might um, start, they might actually introduce more figures. That's just speculation on our end. Don't take, you know, don't take anything I'm saying as confirmation. Um, well, just speak it into existence. What, yeah. what do you think, Southern Cynic? Is there one is there, that you would like create it? Is there a Joey Badass? Oh, a Leon. Yes. <laughs> we got to yeah. get a Leon one. Oh, a hot Carla. Oh, yeah. I know she's such a minor, minor, minor character, but we love hot Carla. A little red, real, um, real better, you know. So, And, mm-hmm. and Joey needs to come with a set of uh, Mad About You DVDs. That would be oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. So um, I was looking at news and notes, and it looks like Sam um, has gotten, is going to have a new project. Um, he's doing a series about the Bermuda Triangle. So um, I have to admit that the Bermuda Triangle has always been something that has fascinated me since I was a child. So I'm actually excited about this and to um, – see what his take would be on that. Have you guys heard anything about this project or knew he was doing anything new? Yeah. Um, I heard, yeah, the film about the Bermuda Triangle, and then on top of that, um, he's got uh, a series project with um, Amazon and uh, mm-hmm. with Julia Roberts. Um, I think Homecoming, they're calling it, and um, it's already been picked up for two seasons. So, Oh, yeah. two seasons. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. And I know so, that's based off of a, a, a serial podcast. So that's cool. Yeah, check that yeah. podcast out because they have uh, Oscar Isaac doing a voice on there, and I'm very yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know the name of the podcast? I know I saw it when I read the article, and I didn't put it down. Gimlet. Gimlet. So that yeah. might be something I'm going to be listening to on my way to and from work. But um, speaking of podcasts, this is the time where we highlight a podcast. Um, so this week we are highlighting the Megasheen podcast, and you can follow them on the Twitters at Megasheen Pod. Um, you can also, they have a website, themegasheen.com. You can find their podcasts on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And so basically they are talking about blurred stuff. They're talking about um, comics movies. Um, I think um, I listened to their last podcast. They were talking about the um, new Wrinkle in Time trailer. They were talking about the Emmy noms. They were talking about San Diego Comic-Con, things like that. So they are really um, 
speaking from a LGBTQ voice, which is a little bit different. I know their previous podcast, they had a guest host who um, hosts a lot of podcasts focused on disabilities and being um, a geek, a nerd, and also having a disability. So it's nice to hear some podcasts that have some unique focuses or foci. Um, so check out the Megasheen podcast. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. So here we are again. You spent another hour listening to us talk and laugh and just geek out on Mr. Robot. So I am C. Talene. You can find me on Twitter at C. Talene, C-T-A-L-L-E-E-N. Where can they find you, Southern Cynic? You can find me on the Twitters at Southern Cynic. And Akira? And they can find me on Twitter at HelloFriend, H3LL0FRI3ND1. Sounds great. And you can find our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Unmasked Podcast. You can search for us and find us there. You can find this um, podcast. We are part of the Brothers Comic family of podcasts. And we are on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, and wherever quality podcasts are sold. So thank you, everybody, and good night. Good night. Good night.